Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Okay, uh, we're doing. A, I'm experimenting with my slides this morning, so if it doesn't go well, um, I can give you Marshall's email, and um, he he's in charge of technical stuff. So, um, well, good morning. It's so good to be here, and um, I preached about a couple months ago, and it was. Uh, literally, I think it was one of the first Sundays that we were going to be gathering, and and then at the last minute there was the pandemic that happened for a second wave, very briefly, and I had to do a last minute live thing, and it's definitely way better having people. Um, I've got a couple of jokes, so if you could laugh at them, I would appreciate it, because last time I didn't have any response, obviously. I had Marshall, but that doesn't really count, because I asked him to. Um, so yeah, it's so good to be here this morning. Um, we had small group this uh, past week, and I just want to say off the bat, um, small group has been so life-giving for me through the pandemic. Uh, I don't know if any of you are part of one, or those of you who are. Um, I don't know if I would have been able to get through the pandemic without my small group. And so I just wanted to encourage anyone that isn't a part of one or if you've been thinking about it or if you've not been sure. Um, I don't think I would be a Christian today without a small group just because there's been so many life-giving things that have happened in a small group. And um, yeah, I know that here as a church, we create as many opportunities we can to meet in person or and online. So um, if you can, go for it. I know this is a tough time and all of that. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because Liz reminded me that um, in our small group that Marshall called my accent glorious a couple of weeks ago. I didn't hear the accent part. I just heard Wesley's glorious. So... Um, I will be making a shirt out of that soon. I'll also be making a shirt that says I am not Australian. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I'm South African and uh, grew up there, moved to the States in 2013 and uh, went to seminary and then moved in Houston and then moved to Northern California to be an associate pastor for three years, met my amazing wife, Irene. Yep, thank you. Yep. <laughs> um, and uh, then we moved up here uh, right before the pandemic. And um, she is going to nursing school. And I am a chaplain at Peace Health Hospital just on the road. Um, but before we move on today, um, I would love to pray. And if you would join me, I'd really appreciate that. So, so Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Um, like we've always done throughout the church. And we just ask that you come and dwell within us today. And um, when we're in worship, I just sense that there are some hearts here this morning that are tired. And um, I think that we have this feeling that we should be gearing up to get past post-pandemic stuff, but we're still in it. And I just want to recognize that. So I just, I ask Holy Spirit that you come and you give us life and that you refresh our souls, that you come and speak to us this morning. I pray that you plant seeds in our hearts that will grow abundant in fruit. I pray that you use me this morning to speak truth in your word. And I just pray anything that is not of you, just wipe it. And anything that is of you that stays and rests in our soul and that you fertilize it and continue to grow it inside of us. So we thank you that you are so gracious and so loving, 
and that you love us so deeply. In your name, amen. So um, this past week um, for me has not been the easiest, if I'm being honest, just to um, start off on the bat. But uh, on top of usual life stuff, I just got some news about a friend of mine um, from back home in South Africa that I didn't expect to get. They're not dying or anything. But it was just a reminder for me of how hard life can be sometimes. And, you know, when we grow up, we have these amazing ideals of what our life is going to turn out to be like. And we think everything is going to happen, like, in a certain way. And then it doesn't. And I don't know about you, um, but I have yet to meet a person who has planned their life out to a point where everything has gone according to plan. Has anyone experienced that? Everything's gone according to plan? Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, we're having coffee after this, and I'm taking notes. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, 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 you're good. I was like, oh, someone, okay, this is cool. Um, but yeah, I've just been reminded how messy life can be. And we can have plans, and they can get scrapped in an instant. Um, just this morning, with you know, just the simple thing of slides can create so much stress inside of us, right? And um, our journey on this earth as humans is not a straight road, um, but one that has many bends and curves and missed opportunities and wrong turns and times when you just run out of gas because you think God is a magician and he's going to fill up your gas tank when you're praying to him that you're going to get to the destination. Side note, I am that person. Um, If you ask Irene, uh, what's her biggest pet peeve? It's that I like to push the limits on my gas tank. And uh, it's because I come from South Africa, a third world country, and uh, although America has its problems, you guys get your post on time. And, you know, I come from a country where I'm praying that my post is going to get on time. And so running empty on my gas tank is just like a little way of me living on the edge. And I like to, like, push the limits a little bit. I feel like I'm home, you know. Um, but we've, we've uh, just gotten a puppy, too. I think I've got a picture of that. Um, but we just got a puppy, and uh, although she is the cutest thing... Oh, um, I've completely... Hang on, hang on. Um, I've gone, I was supposed to read the text, and this is part of the thing. So um, let's read the text first. Do you guys mind? This, I planned this to show how messy life is. Okay. Um, okay, so let's do that. Uh, Let's read the text, and that would be good. That's a really good start, Wesley. Okay. Uh, So we're going to be reading from John 15 this morning. And John 15 says, the NLT, by the way, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitless and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. 
But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce fruit, you are my true disciples. That brings glory to my Father. And on that note, back to my puppy. Um, so um, we just got a puppy, and she is the cutest thing in the world. Uh, she sits really weirdly on the left. Um, we don't know why she sits like that, but she does. And then she also creates a lot of mess, as you can see. Um, and it was just like, um, my, I didn't think my life was going to be about waking up at 5 a.m. to go take my dog to go poop. And um, living with this constant fear that every time we leave our apartment, she pees in the hallway. Um, it's very real. Uh, no, I, I have no kids, and I, and I only have friends that have children. But I think I can confidently say that having a puppy is way harder than having children. Um, just kidding. And I'm not sure about you all, but I find myself often slipping into this narrative that I'll be able to follow Jesus once I've gotten everything sorted out. I know that's something that we always hear in church, that we shouldn't do that. But yet it's just so prevalent, right? You know, once I've gotten my anxiety a little bit under control, then, Jesus, we're on board, you know. Or I'll be in a better place when I've built up more confidence, or another one I've found myself doing is once I've gotten my career on track, then, okay, we're good to go. Or, you know, if I'm being honest, I often tell myself that once I figured out a way to make sure I come across looking okay to everyone else around me, then I'll be ready to help out. You know, or once I've figured out my finances, I'm contributing enough to my Roth IRA or now Bitcoin. Um, each month, and, you know, it gets exhausting, you know, and that's just a narrative that is reinforced every single day that we wake up. It's just a fact of living life in America. Are you aligned with the right in-fashion ideologies today? Have you made sure you've voiced your opinion on social media enough? Have you changed your sleep schedule yet because you read an article on how Mark Wahlberg gets up at 2 a.m. in the morning to start his day in prayer? That's probably just me. Um, but this is a reality we live in today. We are being invited into a thousand different narratives every day without us or the people that are doing it realizing it. And now that doesn't mean that those narratives are wrong or inherently evil or anything like that. Unless you wake up at 2 a.m. Um, we have prayer ministry at the end for that. But there's some stats that might shock you. Um, and I've got a slide for that, and we can go to that. And it's just about social media and how this is just prevalent in our worlds today. So some social media stats is, um, if we go to the first one, it's that from the age of um, 60, if you start social media from the age of 16 until you're 65, there's a big chance that you will spend five and a half years of your life on social media. So um, right now they think that the average social media time, I think we can zoom in on this slide, let's try, yeah. Um, and then we, if we go to the next one, the average daily use is two and a half hours. And that's probably gone up during the pandemic. This is pre-pandemic social media stats. And over the past five years, um, if we go to the next one, the usage has increased by 40%. And they think that's going to increase even more 
over the next five years. So we're probably looking at like 50%, 60% increased usage. So this is the world that we live in. Um, and now I'm not advocating that we completely cancel or we completely delete social media, but I'm saying it's probably not the worst thing we could do. Um, we are being fed a thousand narratives a day and guess what? We were only meant to live in one true grounding narrative. And so our humanness cannot handle this amount of narratives that we are being fed and that we are being brought into every single day. It's just not humanly possible to live those amount of narratives every day. And so this means as followers of Jesus, we have to be so intentional about how we follow Jesus. And we cannot be passive in our discipleship to Jesus. And this is coming from a guy who's an Enneagram 9, for the Enneagram people out there. I'm almost convinced that the Enneagram test is going to be the new entry into evangelical Christendom. Um, but that just means I'm a peacemaker. And so my ideal day is just... Um, going out and taking pictures in the gorge and then having some coffee with a friend while we discuss our Enneagram numbers. And, um, and then it's grabbing some popcorn and some wine and watching The Prestige and um, having some popcorn. And that's our day, you know. I live for harmony, harmony and I live for unity and I just want everyone to get along and I want us to ignore all the problems and we can just get along. I don't understand what the big deal is. But the problem is, is that that is not reality and that is especially not the reality we live in today. And I say this as the most, in the most humblest, humblest of ways as someone who is an immigrant in this country who has been so blessed by people in this country and I've been so blessed by so many factors. But there's this thing in America that makes it want to appear as if nothing is wrong. And there's this thing that sweeps under everything and it sweeps everything under the rug so that America can remain the greatest country in the world. And this is why ideologies such as white supremacy and systems that perpetuate injustice are constantly swept under the rug because it's under, there's this underlying fear that it would expose America to not be the God-fearing country it alleges to be. I'm going to give Marshall's email in a second. Um, so, um, now I know I've started off a bit strong, and it, you know, it's a bit wary, and this is Palm Sunday, and we've been waving palms. We're supposed to be celebrating Jesus as King entering Jerusalem, and I just thought I wouldn't do that. No, I'm just joking. But, um, but today, um, I wanted to talk a lot about Jesus' death. And I'll get to that in a second. This is Palm Sunday. This is the first day of Holy Week. And next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating Easter. But on Holy Friday, we're having a service, right? On Holy Friday, just recognizing the cross. And so I really want to hone in on the cross today. And um, I know I've started off strong, but there's something that we can take from 2020. And it's the space to remember Jesus and his kingdom and his mission here on earth. And these I am statements we've been going through are perfect, are perfect for reorientating us on the true identity of Jesus and that what that means for us as disciples today. 
Now, last time I spoke, I, I didn't take as much of a deeper dive into the passage as I wanted to, but this week we are. So are you all okay with that? We're going, we're going deep, y'all. Um, firstly, I think it's important not to divorce this passage that we just read from its place in the book of John. John's gospel is probably my favorite gospel, and I know it's a lot of people's favorite gospels. The language he uses is just my cup of tea, and I take my tea very seriously. Um, Tea without milk is not tea, by the way. Um, John is known as the John the theologian because of the way he writes. He recounts Jesus' ministry in a way that, I don't want to say more theological, but just as theological as it is historical, meaning he is just as concerned with commuting communicating to us what Jesus's ministry means just as much as recording what Jesus did. And we can see this in the way he places certain passages and verses. For instance, um, John doesn't begin his gospel with a narration account of Jesus's birth like the other gospels do. Instead, um, we can go to the next slide. Uh, He starts with the words, in the beginning, the word already existed and was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. So right off the bat, John is drawing us to the text of Genesis of Genesis 1, where, where it opens up in the beginning. And he's simultaneously telling us two things at once, that Jesus is God And that Jesus was not created, but part of God's creation plan. In other words, Jesus becoming human was always part of God's plan. I grew up in church. I've always grown up in evangelical charismatic circles. And the broad, in general, the narrative about Jesus coming to earth sort of came off like it was God's backup plan, right? God created creation and humanity, and we messed up. God had to send in Jesus to save us because we messed up so badly, right? And I'm not saying that's not true, like in terms of Jesus coming to save us, that is 100% true. But it did come across like, oh, Jesus was a last resort for God. He was trying to give us time, we couldn't get it together, and then he had to send in Jesus, right? But what John is telling us is that Jesus was in the beginning with God, part of God's creation plan. Everything was created through Jesus, and we see Jesus' story throughout the Bible. Um, And that's just in the first few verses of the gospel. Um, You can tell I'm totally nerding out that right now, but we seriously need to normalize uh, nerding out in 2021. I just want to say that. But what John does is he takes scripture from the Old Testament, which, by the way, for John at that time was scripture, right? And he takes um, and he takes Old Testament scripture and um, he points it to Jesus. Jesus is the center of God's story with humanity and the cosmos. And John does this continuously throughout his gospel. He takes Old Testament scripture and he interprets it in light of Jesus. Now, we're nearing the end of the I am statements in the sermon series. And did you know that all these statements stem from the Old Testament? We see it in Exodus, in Psalms, in Isaiah, 
Um, you know, one of the most famous ones is be still and know that I am. And know that I am. Yep. Okay. Um, Marshall and others have um, already mentioned how the statements point to us that Jesus is, in fact, God. And so now um, we have John using the Old Testament to show us that Jesus is aligning himself with God. And we're actually um, recognizing today as Palm Sunday that um, Jesus came in as was recognized as the king, right? And when he returned to Jerusalem. And, um, and so what we see, though, is from there he's entering his death. So how are we doing here, by the way? We're doing good? Okay, can you all understand me and my accent? Okay, cool. Um, just a quick story. Uh, when I first moved to Red Bluff, which is a Northern California town, and I was an associate pastor, I'd be, obviously be up on stage a lot, and we made these wonderful friends with this couple. And after about four months, um, my friend came to me, and she just said, I have to confess something to you. She was like, when I first started going to the church, I didn't know you were from South Africa. And she, thought, she said, I thought you had a speech impediment. And uh, now this is a small town, 15,000 people. I was, I'm probably the only foreigner living in that town. And uh, she, she said, I thought you were so brave and so courageous for making your career about public speaking. And she was like, it's part of the reason why I loved the church so much is because they were willing to give a platform to someone with a speech impediment. And when I found out you were from South Africa, I was crushed. Um, I had this other guy coming to me, like, right before we left. He said to me, he was like, dude, I just need to let you know. He was like, when you first started coming here, I didn't understand 50% of what you said. And he was like, now I'm at about 80% and you're leaving. And he was like, I actually, you're pretty funny. <laughs> so, anyway, I just want to make sure that you're all understanding and all of that. So, so... Um, so scholars across the board in the book of John agree that the entire book can be broken up to show that the pinnacle of Jesus' ministry for John was his death on the cross. That was the climax in John's gospel. This is why um, Rose brought up the role of the cross in her sermon last week, is because this theme of the cross is so entrenched in John's gospel. We would do well to read our passages in John in light of this. And so when we're reading passages of John, we can locate it in how is this located to Jesus' death on the cross? Or better yet, we can ask ourselves, where is this within Jesus' ministry in the gospel? In this passage, this is some of Jesus' last moments before he is arrested. And this is the first time he's actually addressing the I am statement solely to his disciples. So in the back of Jesus' mind, he knows where he is heading. And he knows his disciples don't understand fully what he's saying. Which, by the way, is a good example of what what life with God is like, right? He tells us something, and we're not really 100% sure, but he asks us, to commit to him and his words and follow him anyway, right? Um, but that's a sermon on its own. And, but the one thing to note is just, I want to make a note of this, is that he knows his disciples won't fully understand. 
until Jesus is resurrected. This is why we can't divorce Jesus' death on the cross from his resurrection. We can't understand one without the other. So if you hadn't plans, come join us on Easter next week where we'll be talking about that. Um, anyways, John tells us that um, we will only understand his I am statements in light of the cross. He says this in John eight twenty eight. When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am He. Now, a question that has been asked throughout the ages is why did Jesus have to die the way He did? Right? I mean, has anyone seen The Passion, the movie? Right? It's, oh my gosh, right? I could only watch that once, but it was so powerful because it gave you a glimpse into the brutality that Jesus faced, right? in the way that he died. You know, we, we would do well to ask ourselves, why did he die the way that he did? Why did he not die peacefully in his sleep, right? Why did he not die being smothered by cute puppies? Uh, why did he not die epically while riding a dolphin in the middle of a tsunami? You know, these are questions I ask myself anyway. This is, but these are important questions, and they've been asked throughout the ages, and uh, John Byrne, Eastern Orthodox theologian, who's one of my favorite theologians at the moment, says this. Jesus showed us, showed us what it meant to be God or what it means to be God by the way he died as a human. And we'll say it one more time. Jesus showed, at, showed us what it meant to be God by the way he died as a human. In other words, we see God and who he is most clearly in the way Jesus died as a human, we get a glimpse into God's love for us through the way he died on the cross. Jesus gave up his life in the way that he did because of his love of God and his love of people. In fact, the early Christians took this so seriously that they believed that the way they died would be their final act of obedience to Jesus. This is why there were so many martyrs in the early Christian church. Ignatius of Antioch, who was about to be killed by the Roman Empire because he refused to denounce Jesus and his king, he said this to his um, fellow brothers and sisters before he died. He said, it is better for me to die in Christ than for me to be king over the ends of the earth. I seek him who died for our sake. I desire him who rose for us. Both pangs are upon me. Suffer me, brethren. Hinder me not from living. Do not wish me to die. Suffer me to receive pure light when I shall have arrived there. I shall have become a human being. Suffer me to follow the example of the passion of my God. Pretty powerful, right? Um, it's really interesting. This is a side, I, I won't go into a tangent because I just told, said I wouldn't. But you notice how he equates the way he dies with his final step into fully becoming a human being? Really interesting, right? Um, but it's really important to understand the context which Ignatius was coming from. He was a second century Christian facing the worst persecution in history of the church, where not aligning yourselves to Rome and Caesar meant being killed. 
There were now there was disciples during that time that were actually going out of their way to die and being martyred, and the church, early church um, leaders quickly nipped that in the bud and said, "That is not what." is supposed to be happening. It's your willingness to die. It's not going out to look to die. It's being willing to die. And they quickly corrected that. But um, being a martyr meant following in Jesus' footsteps of surrendering your life utterly to God and serving others through sacrificial love. It meant you were a witness to Jesus and his kingdom and were willing to die in, for, in order for people to see God's kingdom here on earth. Another way of saying it could be like this. They were willing to give up their lives so that their lives would be a living testimony pointing to Jesus and his kingdom. They gave up their lives for God and his kingdom because God gave up his earthly life for us. Now you're going, Wesley, that's great and all. But what does this have to do with Jesus being a vine? I'm so glad you asked. Grab some water. Well, firstly, I mentioned earlier how John uses Old Testament scriptures, right? And um, interprets, interprets them in light of Jesus. And one of the big themes in John is the temple and how Jesus is the new temple because God dwells in Jesus, not in the temple anymore. And um, the word vine is actually better translated into vineyard, was associated with Israel. And Israel was often referred to as the vineyard. Um, And Jesus is now the new Israel, and the church is the vineyard. And we are his branches in the vineyard. And Jesus says he will prune and clean all the branches not producing fruit. And now you're going, dang, all right? Am I about to be pruned by Jesus because I love orange juice, but I have no idea how to produce it myself? No. Um, the fruit here is different to the way that we think about fruit. Um, and we think about fruit mostly with Paul and the fruits of the Spirit, right? But in the book of John, and specifically this chapter, he's actually talking about evangelism. And so actually fruit is directly resulted in making disciples, And so Jesus wants us to know that when we receive the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for us, we actually not only start living in the kingdom of God, but we become witnesses to the kingdom of God too. Um, So Jesus is saying, um, so in other words, we don't become, and this is important, we don't become the truth, we point to the truth. Right, And so in the vineyard, we've always made this distinction between the church and the kingdom, and it's for this very reason. The church is not the kingdom of God. We're in the kingdom of God, and we point to the kingdom of God, but we are not the entirety of the kingdom of God. Right? We point people to the kingdom of God. And so um, this is what he is saying. He wants us to be witnesses to the kingdom of God. Part of this church's vision and mission is to... Um, any bonus points? Someone want to say it? You get a chocolate afterwards. It's to um, proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. When we do that, we are witnessing to the works of the kingdom of God. And so in the vineyard, um, historically, and we've always associated that with um, 
uh, empowered evangelism, and that's going out and praying for people, listening to the Holy Spirit, words of knowledge, that type of stuff, right? And that is true and good. But in this passage, we want to see what Jesus is specifically talking about in the way that we can be witnesses to his kingdom. Um, and I think he has something to say about that in the coming verses. I hope I, I think I did give a thing. We have more verses, right? Uh, there we go. Okay, so John fifteen nineteen. this is right after this. He says, I, lo- I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will, be o- your joy will overflow. Flow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love one another. And so in the context that Jesus is talking about in this gospel, we find that Jesus' idea is fruit and the way that we make disciples, yes, includes proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom. But Jesus also has this idea where we witness to his kingdom by our willingness to lay down our lives for him and his kingdom and for others. Right, And that's the lasting fruit that has lasted since Jesus' resurrection. He left us with the Holy Spirit. That's why the kingdom just exploded in the early church, because people were willing to die so that others may be saved. Can I get an amen? Yeah, thanks. Yes. Um... And it's important to note that we only do this because Jesus did it. It, We only do this because we're following a Savior that laid down his life for us. He's not asking us to do it, and then he's going to do it later on. We're doing it because we can trust him. We can trust his goodness, and we can trust him because he's shown his love for us by the way that he died. And so we can rest in his love, and we can know that his love is far greater than anything that could ever compete here on earth. How am I doing on time? Sweet. So I wanted to end off with some practical things, and these are very practical things um, about ways we can see this work out in our day-to-day lives in pandemic in any situation, but specifically now, I wanted to give us some ways we can do that. So one, uh, the first one, if we can go to the next one. Okay, so the first one is being anchored by the kingdom of God. It's going to be really tough to do this if we aren't first anchored by the kingdom of God and the narrative of Jesus's death for us, right? 
if that isn't anchored in our soul, it's going to be really hard to persevere in being witnesses to the kingdom, right? We're going to go so far, and we're going to realize we're going to be out of gas, right? And that, in that time, it is good to pray to God to fill you up, right? Um, so first thing is being anchored. This church is big on spiritual practices. And um, if you've been around here, you'll know that we love silence and solitude. We love fasting. I am terrible at fasting. I last four hours. But um, if you can fast, do it. Um, reading scripture, memorizing, Lectio Divina. There's so many ways by being anchored um, by the kingdom of God. The second one is don't uh, start small. Uh, this is a lifetime commitment, right? There's a tendency to go big or go home. Um, I lived in Texas, and that was a huge thing. Go big or go home. Um, but this is a lifetime deal, right? This is not lasting this year. This is not going to end when the pandemic ends. Um, but this is a lifetime commitment. And so start small. Don't go big. This is a lifetime process. The goal, as Rose said last week, is to be transformed over time in the likeness of Christ. Um, and so what that looks like, it could be reaching out to someone you haven't reached out in a while. You know, as simple as that. Getting in contact with someone, you may be surprised by what that produces. Um, and the last one, uh, what current comforts can we sacrifice for the benefit of someone else or others? And I think what's really important is to say this individually, but also as a community, right? We tend to think only individually, and that's true. But as, uh, as a community, what can we sacrifice for the benefit of others? Um, I felt really convicted, and um, we'll go into ministry time uh, right now. Um, but I just I had this big sense that there are those there are those of us in the room who are going, okay, cool, yeah, I feel like I could maybe sacrifice, or there's something that I could do that I know will be the benefit of someone else, right? Or there's something I, that I could do that would really help out someone else. And then I also felt this morning that there are those in here that have already been doing it and don't realize it. And I just wanted, I just felt like God had a word, and maybe we should start ministry time. So, so, um, and I just felt that there might be those of us here this morning that have been giving their all and maybe have not realized it. And so, you actually need to be filled and you need renewal and you need the Holy Spirit to come into your life and just be recognized for what you are doing. Um, I just I had that sense, um, and so yeah, I'm going to give it off to you right now.